Uh, today we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of Judges uh, called Prone to Wander. And it's kind of a, a look through that book, the nation of Israel, uh, the cycle that they were going through, uh, through rebellion and then repentance and then rescue with God, uh, and then kind of examining our own lives, uh, the similar tendencies and things we may have uh, to the nation of Israel, but then also uh, what we can learn from it, or what are some of the different blocks to true repentance uh, that are actually within our lives. Uh, today we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and so if you want to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, uh, otherwise we'll have the verses up on the screens as well. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the story of Gideon. Uh, and so Gideon is one of the more uh, well-known judges uh, within the book of Judges. Um, and, and we think of Gideon, what are some of the things that you think of uh, with Gideon? Anybody? The what? The pots, the pots that he breaks with the torches in it. Did somebody say the fleece I thought I heard? Yep, the fleece is another one where he's like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, are you sure? Like, let me put this out. Let me put that out. What was the other one? A mighty warrior. Absolutely. Uh, lapping up at the water, right, where the army, it was, it was so big. And God's like, ah, it's too big. Uh, and so the test of the army drinking the water, and then it's reduced down to 300. Uh, and then the miraculous way, like they, they go around the camp of uh, the Midianites, and they break the pots or the jars. They have the torches. They blow some trumpets, uh, and they say, for the Lord. Uh, and then the camp of the Gideons are actually thrown into confusion, and they take themselves out um, as they're worshiping God. So there's all these different things uh, in that uh, of this story of Gideon that we look at. So, but this morning, what we're going to be doing is taking a look at the very beginning of the story of Gideon uh, and focusing more on the nation of Israel and their response uh, than necessarily Gideon himself. Uh, and so we're going to be starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. But before we get there, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you this morning as we read your holy word. And we pray that your spirit would be alive and active in us. That we would just seek you, rely on you, be anchored in you, uh, and ask that you would work within our hearts and minds, and that you would do the work of transformation within us. Lord, our desire is to follow you. Uh, and at times we are prone to wander. Uh, and Lord, I pray that as we look at this scripture, uh, you will show the areas within our hearts uh, that we do that. Uh, as well as just give us the peace of your grace and mercy and forgiveness that all we have to do is turn to you, to abide in you, and to trust you. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6. We kind of did an intro last week, uh, but this is, again, looking into this cycle. It's a couple of judges into the cycle. Uh, but in verse 1, it says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years, uh, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and strongholds. I, just pause right there. For, for seven years, like, like they have this difficulty with Midian for, for seven years, where, where they're hiding in caves and strongholds. Uh, verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Ketamites came and attacked them. They encamped against them, destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And so just imagine this circumstance. 
Like, like we've just been through a, a difficult year for us, right? Where we have to wear masks in certain situations. There, there was a great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Um, you know, here they don't have food or sheep or goats. And we were just looking for paper wrapped around cardboard tubes. Um, but it was a difficult year for us. Uh, imagine that for seven years instead of just one. And yet the things that we were facing is nothing compared uh, to this, where they would encamp, they left nothing for Israel to eat. They, essentially, they were like locusts that would come and take everything. And even when God comes to call Gideon to be a judge, uh, it says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, now threshing wheat was meant to be done more in open air because you, you take the wheat and the chaff and you throw it up into the air and the chaff's blown away by the wind and you just have the kernels uh, of wheat left. But he was doing it down inside of a wine press so that nobody would actually even notice what he was doing so that the Midianites wouldn't come and steal the grain that he was threshing at that point. So th th this is the depth uh, of their difficulty that they're facing here. And then they cry out to the Lord in this circumstance. In verse 6, became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and so the Israelites cried out to the Lord. But what were they crying out for? They were just crying out for rescue. They weren't acknowledging at all what brought them to that point. The concept where the Lord had said in the beginning of the book that we looked at last week, if you follow me, and if you do not go after other gods, I will protect you, and I'll make sure that you're provided for. But if you leave me, if you abandon me, and you go and follow these other false gods, these fake gods of stone, well, then I'm going to turn you over to your enemies as a consequence of seeking them instead of seeking me. And so when they cry out to the Lord in, in this circumstance, they're just saying, God, this is a really tough situation. These last seven years have been terrible. Would you rescue us? And, and they're not even contemplating like what actually brought them to that circumstance. And so this is one of the ways uh, for ourselves this morning, uh, First, I think out of three uh, of different ways that repentance within us is blocked at times because sometimes we're just looking at the uncomfortable and difficult repercussions of our actions, the, the result of sin. And we're saying, oh, I don't like this. God, would you rescue me? Would you, would you rescue me from the consequence of my own actions? We uh, might lie or cheat and steal and then get caught in those lies. We may go commit a crime and then we're caught. And then we cry out to God like, would you help me in this situation to avoid the consequences of what I face? Perhaps in our marriages at times we find it to be difficult. And our prayer to God is, God, would you just fix this? And instead of looking within our own hearts and saying, you know, how have I been reflecting Jesus to my spouse? And if I haven't been, are these difficulties popping up because I've been responding out of my own flesh, out of my own selfishness, out of my own sense of control? And so then we ask God for rescue from the situation instead of actually looking at what we need to repent of within our heart. 
And so this is a block to repentance in a sense because we're not even really looking at what needs to be changed. We just want to avoid the conflict that has become the result of whatever it is. So this is what Israel's doing, is they don't like the situation that they've put themselves into. And now they're saying, God, can you rescue us? Instead of saying, God, would you forgive us, change our hearts and help us to walk after you. And then we recognize the promise you gave us at the beginning of Judges is if we turn and if we follow you, you're going to protect us. And instead they're just saying, rescue us. So what does God do in the next few verses? Uh, he sends a prophet to them. Where this prophet reminds them of this covenant with God at the beginning of Judges. And saying, but you decided to ignore that. You decided to turn from God. You decided to follow after these false gods. But as they do, as the prophet shares this with them, they don't change. They don't repent. They, they don't turn from these things. Uh, we can actually see this uh, beginning in verse 27. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, the prophet came. He's told Israel what they need to do. Uh, they haven't done it. Uh, God calls Gideon to uh, help throw off the oppression of the Midianites uh, and to begin by tearing down uh, an altar of Baal and, and an ashram pole. And so this is what God is telling Gideon to do. Uh, I want you to start by getting rid of these false idols. And he actually begins in his father's house. So Gideon's own dad has an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole, and this is where God is telling him to begin. So in verse 27, it says, Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. <laughs> so this is where Gideon's at right now. He's like, okay, God, I want to I follow you, but... Like, let's just sneak out at night and bring out a saw and hope nobody hears as we, like, cut down this pole and then set this giant fire uh, as we offer up, uh, we think it was two bulls to God. Uh, and verse 28, when the men of the city got up in the morning, so they didn't notice the big giant blaze of the offering um, or the sawing sound in the middle of the night. Um, they got up in the morning. They found Baal's altar torn down and the Asherah pole beside it cut down. The second bull offered up on the altar that had been built. So they said to one another, who did this? And after they made a thorough investigation, so they kind of went CSI uh, back in the time of Judges. I, I don't know what this thorough investigation was. Like, did they go and like follow the different footprints or whatever and then follow Gideon back to his father's? But they made a thorough investigation and found out uh, that Gideon, son of Joash, did this. Verse 30, the men said to the, of the city said to Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him plead his own case because someone tore down his altar. And so what Gideon's dad, in a sense, is saying here is like, Okay, well, well, if Baal's a real god, well, then he should smite down Gideon for what he did and not you. And so why are you trying to defend a God when he should be able to do it himself? And I think Joash here is starting to, to realize this sense of it's just wood and stone and not anything real. 
And so he's protecting his son in a sense. And then from this point, it goes on to the laying of the fleece before the Lord, the jars, the torches, uh, the trumpets, the army, and, and such. But this morning, again, we want to focus on the response of Israel at this point and a block to repentance. So, so again, they're, they're in seven years of oppression. God, would you rescue us? Not, God, would you forgive us? God, would you change our hearts and help us to follow you? Would you rescue us out of the situation? In response, God sends a prophet that says, here's the covenant. If you follow me, I will protect you, but you didn't. And so therefore, this is where you find yourselves. God sends Gideon, and he begins the process by tearing this down. And how does the city respond? How does the nation of Israel respond? Let's put Gideon to death. Aren't connecting the idea of, Lord, would you rescue us with him actually beginning the process uh, of rescuing them? And they start to defend or try to protect their false worship because they didn't want to let it go. They wanted God to get rid of the circumstance, but they didn't want to get rid of the things that they wanted to pursue and the idols within their own lives. And so it was a block for their repentance because they were actually protecting the very thing that they should be repenting from. How often is that the same in our own life? Where we choose to defend our sinful actions instead of repenting. In our own life, when we become angry and we sin in that anger, just kind of out of a response because it's what's dwelling within our heart. How often in that moment are we like, oh, would you forgive me for responding that way? Versus, I had a right to be angry because uh, this person cut me off. I have a right to be angry because this person disrespected me. This person broke something. And so I have a right to this. Maybe it's uh, jealousy within our life, uh, falling into temptation. We have these different temptations within our lives, and yet Corinthians tells us that there's always going to be a way of escape in these things, that God always provides a way, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And yet when we fall into that temptation, in that moment, are we God, forgive me for this. Or are we like, well, you know, I kind of fell into that because of this and this and this. You know, I was just kind of weak in this moment, and, and we start making excuses which are really defenses of the very thing that we ought to be repenting from. It can be the same with laziness, uh, gluttony, uh, not being loving. How many other aspects within our life, what is our first response? Oftentimes, this is trying to protect or justify the way that we've acted instead of submitting to the Lord and saying, no, that wasn't right. That was not responding in a Christ-like way. Lord, thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy and thank you for your forgiveness that puts my sins as far as the east is from the west. And so, Lord, forgive me and help me to walk forward. But yet our tendency is often to be self-defense and trying to justify what we do. And so it actually blocks a path of our own repentance in that moment. In this passage, what Joash is saying is, well, then let Baal defend himself. And what if we would do that with our own sins in our life that we need to repent of? What if, what if we let them defend themselves? What, what is the fruit of sinful anger? 
It's broken relationships. It's hurt feelings. It's pain. It's broken relationships. And the fruit of that is death. What is the fruit of, of lust? Brokenness, sin, and death. The fruit of gluttony. We actually see results within our own physical bodies. Many times we're defending aspects of sin within us. And if we would just stop trying to justify it, if we would just stop trying to defend it and allow it to defend itself, that's sin, that's death, and I don't want to touch it. That's what they're doing here with Baal is like stop trying to defend it. Like let it do himself. Oh, it can't. And it's the same thing way within sin in our own lives. Sin leads to death. And, and thanks be to God that we have grace and mercy and, and forgiveness and eternal life through the risen Christ. But there is earthly, temporary uh, repercussions to sin within our lives. If you break the law, you may go to jail. God can forgive you and you can still go into heaven because of grace and mercy, but there is an earthly repercussion to what you have done. And, and that is the fruit of that. And so instead of trying to defend our own actions, let's just look to see these areas that we need to change. And just what is the simple fruit of that bitterness within us? What is the fruit of lust within us? What is the fruit of responding in anger all the time? What is the fruit of being selfish? Do we want that fruit in our life? I think the answer will clearly be in every circumstance, no. So what we can learn in this is stop trying to defend it. Instead, let's just go to repentance. And again, repentance is this idea of, of acknowledging a shift within our mind and a desire to walk in a different direction. And so as we examine our own lives, we find areas within our own lives where there are sin and things that we need to repent of, and we no longer defend it or excuse it. We recognize that it is death. Right there is a shift in our mindset. A shift in our mindset is no longer saying, well, I'm going to justify this or I'm going to excuse this. We're now shifting our mind to say, I don't want the fruit of that in my life. And because of that, I'm now going to walk with God away from whatever this thing is. That's all repentance is. It's not this sense of a rival where you have to be perfect or have to be right or get everything right in order to be, oh, I've repented. But rather, it's this idea of, I no longer want that. My mind is set on something else, and I'm just going to try and stick close to Jesus as I walk away from these things, where the fruit in my life is leading to death in areas of my life here on earth around me. We go for the transformation, absolutely. We would choose to flee from this root of sin or death within our lives. The third thing that we can learn from this passage, though, uh, is God's mercy. We see these other two ways uh, where they're blocking repentance. Uh, the first one is they're really only interested in getting rid of repercussions. They're just get, interested in getting rid of the conflict and not actually changing. So that's the first block that they faced and we faced. The second one is uh, excuses or trying to defend it. 
But the third thing that we learn from this passage, again, is God's mercy. Israel had wrong motivations. They just wanted to get out of the trouble that they were in. And they didn't want to change. And what did God do in the situation after seven years? He sent Gideon. They did not change. They wanted to kill Gideon for starting what God was calling him to do in order to rescue Israel. They did not change, and yet God called Gideon to be a mighty warrior, to, to step up and defend and rescue Israel from the Midianites in such a dramatic way that it could only clearly be God. In fact, that was the whole purpose of shrinking down the size of the army so that Gideon couldn't claim it for himself. God's like, yeah, you're only going to do this with 300 people against thousands. And you're actually not going to fight. You're just going to take some jars, break it, blow a horn, and hold up a torch and say for the Lord. And the army's defeated. In a dramatic way, God shows his love for Israel while they were still in a pattern of sin. They were still choosing to try and defend and hold on to the sins within their life. And he did it out of an act of love and mercy and commitment to his people. We find the same thing is for us today. As an act of love, God came to rescue us while we were still sinners. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. Our, our destiny was eternity in hell. And we did nothing to change that. That's what these, these words are saying. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. But God, in verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace goes on in that passage to say that, that through faith we're saved by grace, and even that faith is not of our own, but it's a gift of God so that no one can boast. God's great mercy went to Israel to rescue them out of that circumstance, even though they did nothing to change, and he's done the same thing for us in bringing us to salvation. Even though we did nothing to earn his forgiveness or love, or did nothing to earn entrance into heaven, but he, out of his love, he said, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to adopt you into my family to be a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. He says, do not be worried, for I go ahead of you in my father's house, so there are not many rooms. And so I go to prepare a place for you. All of this out of love and rescue from this darkness and this sin within us. But it's not just at the point of salvation. He continues uh, to do this within our life and our relationship with him. We get a picture of this in Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about if you forgotten the exhortation that he addresses you as sons. So again, this is talking about you've been saved. You're a son or daughter of God. So now he's going to address you as a son or daughter of God. My son or daughter, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. 
Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons or as sons and daughters. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? This is what he was doing with Israel. Here's the consequences to your actions. I'm going to allow the natural consequences of these things to, to bring you to a place of repentance and recognizing that you need me. He'll do the same thing within our lives. Yes, he's rescued us from eternal sin and death. But he did not and will not rescue us from circumstances that are natural outcomes of the choices that we make within this life that he will use as discipline in circumstances in order to show us you've been choosing the wrong path. You've been following after your own strength. And I'm going to let you follow that until you can't get any further and you finally recognize that it's not by might and it's not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. He will allow these things to happen and he allows it because it is love. It is his kindness and mercy that leads us to repentance. It's his patience within us to allow these things to show us where we've been allowing things within us that the fruit leads to problems, to death within our, our lives, within our relationships. He'll allow the natural earthly consequences of our actions to discipline us, but he also pursues us. Uh, this is what he did with Jonah right? Like, like Jonah, okay, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. No, Lord, I'm not. <laughs> and, and the Lord pursued him and brought him to a place of repentance. I, and I love this story because Jonah threw the fish in the three days. Like he's like, okay, God, you're right. You've always been right. Like my heart's been wrong. Like, please forgive me. And so, He's like spit out onto dry land, right? So then he goes to Nineveh and he does what he's supposed to do. But he has a terrible attitude about it. Absolutely terrible attitude. And then the city of Nineveh repents because they recognize that the fruit of the sin within their lives is not of God. So they choose to repent in that circumstance. God forgives them. They're not destroyed. And here's Jonah who's sitting on top of a hill waiting for fire to come down to destroy the city. And now he's disappointed when it doesn't happen. Literally, that's what it says. And then God says to Jonah, like, what are you upset? This is why I didn't want to go to them in the first place, because I knew you'd forgive them. And in that moment, God's not like, you silly, impetuant, stupid little boy. I'm done with you. But he grows a plant for Jonah to shade him. Jonah's like, yeah, cool, this is great. God loves me. And then God has a worm come that eats the plant. And then Jonah's like, oh, it stinks. And in all of it, God was speaking to Jonah and pursuing the areas of his heart that needed to change. It wasn't about the circumstances. Jonah was complaining about the circumstances and he wanted it. He wanted shade. And so God gave him shade, but he also wanted to teach him a lesson. So he took the shade away. Because he wanted his heart to change. And in part of the discourse between them, he's like, weren't there hundreds of thousands of people and animals within the city of Nineveh? I want to have care and compassion on them. And I want you to 
as well. So not only did God want Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh so that they might have a chance to repent, God wanted Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh in order to have his own heart changed and transformed. But yet he would block that sometimes by trying to run from what God was doing, to try and make excuses for what God was doing. And God continued to pursue him out of love and grace and mercy. He does these things in our own lives as well. We, we can try and block them by just wanting him to fix the circumstance instead of our hearts. We try and block them by defending our actions uh, instead of looking for change within, and he'll continue to pursue us. And then as he pursues us, uh, there's two different things uh, that happen through this. The, the first thing is we can resist. And God will pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. And he'll use circumstance after circumstance to reveal the fruit of the things that we're holding most dear within our life. And if they lead to death, he'll allow those circumstances to happen until we get to the point where we recognize, I need to change within and to stop leaning on these things. And so it can either delay our heart transformation if we choose to resist or ignore what God is doing, or it can harden our heart to further, deeper, and greater sin. We just have a recent example of that uh, in a beloved Christian leader as we're finding out some of the horrors that he committed in sinful actions uh, against women around the world. He was hiding from, blocking, ignoring, and resisting the work of the Holy Spirit to lead him to repentance. And then he would defend it. And it led to death. Or we can choose just to be abiding. Again, repentance is not about revival or arrival. It is about revival because as we repent, we're revived as we abide in Christ. But it's not about arrival. And so if you are feeling here this morning that there's areas of your life that God has been wanting you to work on and you've been resisting it in various ways, it's, it's not about repentance being the result of, well, I finally fixed that and it's no longer there. Repentance is all about, well, my mindset has been trying to defend that, protect it. Oh, that's a sin that I'll work on later. You know, let me just do this one thing three more times. We make all these different deals and we reason with ourselves. But if instead we just say, what is the natural fruit of the sin that I'm trying to protect? I don't want that. So I'm not going to defend it anymore. And God, would you help me to walk? That, that's all repentance is. It, it's not perfection because only Jesus was perfect. Repentance is just simply choosing to abide with Christ and to take the way of escape when he provides it for us. Repentance is a change of course, not an arrival at a destination. Because we find that through sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit within us, God is constantly working on us until either he comes back to conquer sin and death for all of eternity, or we go home to him. We're in a constant sense of being worked upon by him. 
And then we have to understand that we need to pursue him. We need to choose to follow him. Instead of choosing to protect or ignore or just seek our own comfort. The truth of forgiveness and mercy and grace through the death of Jesus is what we walk towards. And we choose to walk away from the old life that was connected to sin and death as we follow him. My Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for this passage, for this uh, example of Gideon. Uh, and there's so much that we can learn from it. To learn from him and his response to you, to the way that he sought you, to the way that he wants to make sure that he was hearing from you clearly, to the ways that he stepped out in faith, and to the ways that after all of that, he still fell into temptation and idolatry of an ephod. Lord, there's ways that we can learn from Israel as well. And I pray that your Holy Spirit makes these words come alive to us. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us, that you would show us the areas within our lives that we are protecting uh, or choosing not to abide in you. That we rely upon our own strength, our own desires, the way that we th want things to go or even the sinful aspects of ourselves that we protect or reason away. I pray that your Holy Spirit shows us where those things are and what the fruit of them actually are in our lives, and that we would choose to follow you as you do the pruning work within us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for these things. We pray this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.